This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Has it been a week already? It's Friday again, so you know what time it is. It's time for our weekly news recap, where we cover the top stories that you need to know about. Stories like these. The Chicago Park District has been spending big money to settle complaints from young women who worked as lifeguards. Even before he took office, Mayor Johnson talked about the importance of hiring a police leader who knew Chicago. In Larry Snelling, he found his man. Auto workers on strike against America's big three car companies, counting the commander-in-chief as a historic ally. President Biden becoming the first sitting U.S. president to join a union picket line at this GM parts facility near Detroit Tuesday. Let's meet this week's panel of journalists. Dan Mihalopoulos is a WBEZ investigative reporter on government and politics. Hey, Dan. Hey, Sasha. Did you just give me a thumbs up? I did. (laughs) (laughs) David Grising is the president of the Better Government Association. Welcome back to Reset, David. Hello, Sasha. And rounding out our panel today is Ramana Hussein, editorial board member and columnist at the Chicago Sun-Times. Good to see you, Ramana. Good to see you, too. Okay, let's jump right in. The uh, United Auto Workers strike had expanded this morning to include workers at the Ford Chicago assembly plant. What happened? So um, starting at 11 o'clock, I believe there was 5,000 workers um, who started... um, uh, picketing and uh, I think the walkouts was supposed to start at 11 um, and so that that they basically make up for the many different uh, workers that are striking across the country I think I believe the walkouts of inc- supposed to include like 20 different um, states yeah. so now we have uh, people in Chicago who are out and about um, starting at 11 o'clock and you know just like the other workers um, across the country they are asking for a 36 percent pay increase um, annual cost of living adjustments um, they want a four-day work week and they're asking for restrictions for temporary workers like restrictive rules I believe mm. uh, what have union leaders said about any plans to expand the strike? Yeah, from what I saw, I, I believe that it's also going to be expanding to um, another location in Lansing, Michigan. And I think the total is 20 states, as I said before. Yeah. I, I believe so. So, um, and, and as we just heard on the audio a few minutes ago, uh, President Joe Biden had joined workers in Michigan earlier this week. Making history. Yeah. yeah. Joining them on, on the picket line. I mean, what did he have to say just about, you know, union the union's demands really. yeah i mean he I, from you know he was very positive um and he said that you know they deserved um the, the raise and you know he was fist bumping a lot of workers and you know sort of telling them much, to stick with it yeah telling him to stick with it and uh, i had no idea that this was the first time any sitting president had done that i me, me neither i mean were were any of you aware dan and david you no know, it's it's this is a huge national issue because uh the the republicans especially Donald Trump have really sort of grabbed or made big inroads into the union movement and and disaffected workers who have been displaced by changes in the economy. And so the Democrats under President Biden are now trying to grab those people back because obviously that's been a huge support uh, for Democratic Party over many, many years. But showing up at a picket line, it was previously there was a line drawn against that because that is taking sides in a labor dispute yeah. and yeah you don't really have any recollection of images of, of that no. seeing that yeah. before no. No, 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 I mean historically yeah. you have some very different images including here in Chicago over the course of labor history in the United States of workers uh, being attacked by um, you know people that were hired by the companies and and certainly that was I think with support of people in power um, all the way up to the top 
Um, but I think Dave uh, hits a very, very important point. Let, let's be honest. I don't know the demographic breakdown of all the auto workers, but when you talk about the shift uh, to the Republican Party, you're talking mm-hmm. almost entirely about the white working class. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's just call that what it is and put it out there. And yeah, there's concern among Democrats for years that people who are disaffected by income inequality, which is coming into play here when yeah. we talk about how big the raises have been for the top people versus the decline in ineffective wages for the people on the line. These issues have been bread and butter Democratic issues, except for one period when we talked about Reagan Democrats, remember, a generation ago. So this is very important for the Democrats to to say, look, we're on the side of, of working people of all races, and this is a, a group that, that has been very uh, instrumental uh, in their shift to the right in helping Donald Trump particularly. Yeah. Did, did we hear uh, union workers or leaders say anything about Biden's show of support? Well, they're thrilled by it. Uh, and understandably, the president of the United States there with a bullhorn on a picket line is really helpful. We saw a corollary to this with Brandon Johnson when he showed up at uh, Chicago State. I think it was uh, a, a faculty strike there. And so That's in right. a way, Last John- year. Johnson kind of as the recently elected mayor doing that kind of paved the way for this kind of move. Mm-hmm. It, it is unusual, and we'll have to see if other politicians do this over time. Well, let's stick with you for a moment here, David, and, and switch gears. City council members unanimously confirmed Larry Snelling as Chicago's top cop. How much different has reception of Snelling been compared to his predecessor, David Brown? Well, it's funny because when, when the council votes to approve a superintendent, they typically do them give them a great big bear hug. And those things can turn around really, really quickly, as we saw with David Brown. It wasn't long before, uh, after his first memorial weekend. So it was Day all weekend. sweet in the beginning. It, yes, it was. This, this seems to be a little bit more deep-seated. This is somebody... Uh, a son of Englewood, as Mayor uh, Johnson called him, uh, he went to high school in Englewood. He has policed that district. He was in the in the seventh district earlier in his career. He's worked his way up through the ranks and served in a, month, a number of key p- capacities. He also helped author the use of force policy, which is really really important. And he's talking some in ways that that people, even the progressives on council, uh, like to hear about. Um, uh, what he's calling a co-responder model instead of just sending uh, police officers say when there's a mental health crisis there mm-hmm. might be a way to send people with actual training in mental health and when you look at the testimony leading up to the consent decree that was a big issue in terms of mismatching the type of people showing up depending on the crisis in 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 front of them and so yeah. he he went over very very well in the council hearing as well as in community hearings and and so yes there always is a honeymoon it won't last for very long probably just given the significant ch- challenges he needs to deal with yeah. in particular he never did say whether he plans to renew the shot spotter contract shot spotter is this very controversial technology that yeah. has all kinds of false alarms that that our, that our mayor once said he was going to get rid of. Yes, he did, because it sends crowds of cops into neighborhoods, basically guns ready because they think there's been a shooting when, in fact, maybe it was a, a truck backfired or something like that. And, yes, Brandon Johnson has said he would get rid of it. Um, um, Superintendent Snelling was unclear on the question. He has previously defended its use, though. Yeah. Right. 
This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We are breaking down the biggest stories of the week with a panel of first-rate journalists. Dan Mehalopoulos, who's an investigative reporter on government and politics for WBEZ. David Greising, president of the Better Government Association. And Ramana Hussein, who's editorial board member and columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times. Um, Dan, you recently looked into the uh, Chicago Park District quietly paying out nearly $2 million to three former lifeguards. And this is going back, of course, to the 2021 sexual abuse scandal that you reported on. What happened? Right. We had the scandal a couple of years ago where they kept under uh, wraps that there was widespread allegations of sexual harassment, abuse, and even assault by lifeguard supervisors against young women and even girls who were working at beaches and pools. And after that came out, we had criminal charges. We had resignations of top park district officials. And now we have lawsuits and we've had them, I guess, uh, for a while now, but the park district uh, did not want to be transparent about it. They had board meetings where they said, we're approving a settlement with a plaintiff named Jane Doe. All in favor say aye. Well, they didn't say how much they're paying out. They didn't say what this was about, that it was sexual misconduct allegations against employees. And, you know, we got some Freedom of Information Act requests in there and got some of those records. And Mm. and it adds up so far, because it's not done yet, so far to $1.9 million. Wow. So a fourth female lifeguard filed a lawsuit earlier this year? Correct. That's pending in Cook County Circuit Court. So there have been three settlements for the $1.9 million, and there's another lawsuit uh, filed by uh, a Jane Doe, again, an anonymous plaintiff against the Park District, uh, the lifeguard supervisor who she alleges abused her and, and who was, in fact, criminally convicted for sexual crimes. And she's also suing the former CEO who resigned a couple years ago under pressure from the then mayor, a guy named Michael Kelly. Um, and that lawsuit, like I said, is pending with um, uh, Romanucci and Blandin law firm uh, representing that plaintiff. What's the Park District saying about these payouts? The Park District isn't saying much. I mean, Rosa Scarreno was brought in as the CEO to um, uh, clean up and reform the situation, and she's promised uh, to change things. She says she has changed a lot of things, um, but they settled these very, very quietly. Uh, The board uh, state law says that you have to really talk about what you're voting on, even if you, you discussed it on, in closed session. You have to vote on it in open session, and, and this is an issue of the BGA. Is David's yeah. nodding over there. Um, they didn't do that. What they told me was just a statement from a spokesperson for the Park District that, you know, we evaluate these claims, and you know, they got these letters that said, look, you guys messed it up, and our client was very deeply hurt and continues to feel the effects of this misconduct that that they were victimized by and pay up or when we go to court, it could be a lot worse for you. Mm. So they settled up and they thought it was, I think their words were, you know, fair and equitable or something to that effect. Hey, if I can just say, I mean, we as a community owe a debt of gratitude to Dan. He broke this story mm-hmm. a couple of years no. ago. Oh my no, no, you owe a debt of yeah. gratitude yeah. To, the, to the girls who, and the young yeah. women now who spoke up 
and said, um, we don't want this to happen to anybody else, and so we'll trust you. Yeah. yeah. And I appreciate their trust. It takes a lot Thank to get you, that trust, it, though, is yeah. I think what, what David was, was I saying. That, yeah. I, I mean, that was my introductory to, to WBEZ, right? That was when I first got here, and I, I said, oh, my new colleague, Dan Mahalopoulos, who's this guy? Because I keep hearing yeah. his name. Mm-hmm. It's because he was doing this, this incredible work. And to stick with this story for years and chase down things like them trying to hold a you know nearly $2 million worth of taxpayer Not money easy. going to a settlement. It just, it's just that an old school investigative reporting, the likes of which we don't see enough. No. So Thanks, what should we take away from how the park district is, is handling these cases behind closed doors? I feel like nothing's, you know, we have weighed in on some of Dan's stories that he'd written. Um, and it just seems like the transparency is just lacking. And even though they've made a couple of changes, it, it just seems like nothing's changed and dan's uh dan also wrote another story recently about um uh the politically 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 connected manager um who basically didn't report you know sexual um i guess sexual comments that were made and so you know it's like she's still working getting paid six figures overlooking three different um park district or uh, park district parks so Mm -hmm. it's 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 something that's kind of like yeah you're changing the faces but you're not really changing the way you're dealing with these allegations and it's not like it's just one or two like dan has written about so many and it's it's just like a it's a problem that has been long-standing and wasn't addressed and that i think is what is making a lot of people upset is the fact that it was just kind of swept under the rug or not spoken about, not transparent about. The yeah. transparency is lacking. Until now, yeah. Let's take a quick pause. That is Ramana Hussein of the Chicago Sun-Times, WBEZ's Dan Mihalopoulos, and the BGA's David Rising. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and you're tuned into the Weekly News Recap, where we take you behind the headlines of the week's top local stories. Before the break, we took a close look at the United Auto Workers strike and developments in Chicago's lifeguard sexual abuse scandal. But there's a lot more news to get to. The country is careening toward a shutdown of the federal government, with Congress so far unable to make a deal to avert it. It's up if you ride the CTA Blue Line. Some stations will be closed over the weekend for construction. The Clinton and UIC Halstead stations will be closed. The migrant shelter is set to open up on the 2200 block of South Halstead in the Pilsen neighborhood. Now, it's unclear when exactly that shelter's doors will open or how many migrants will be placed there. We're going to continue to work hard to come up with Um, a solution that works for everyone in the city. Our panel today to help break down these stories, Dan Mihalopoulos, investigative reporter on government and politics at WBEZ, David Grising, president of the Better Government Association, and Ramana Hussein, editorial board member and columnist at the Chicago Sun-Times. Okay, so another 27 buses full of migrants arrived in Chicago in the past week. That's a record number since they started arriving back in August of 2022. And they kind of seem to have come more often since May of this year. Is is there a reason for this spike in arrivals, Dan? Well, I think um, two things uh, are going on here. One, people are coming from very desperate situations in countries like uh, Venezuela and um, Central America and, and beyond. They're showing up at the border in greater numbers. Why are more of them coming to Chicago? Because the Republican governors of uh, states like Texas um, are putting them on these buses and, and sending them here and spending taxpayer money to do that so that the Democratic leaders and voters <laughs> in uh, Illinois, New York, Los Angeles, but more and more Chicago uh, are having to pay. And 
why Chicago maybe more than some other places now. Uh, Democratic National Convention is coming up next year. That's and right. so Democrats don't want to put up a wall at the border. Then whoever crosses the border here, take him. And when it's bad and you can't handle it, then, you know, I don't know, we're exposing you and making this an issue that will yeah. be an effective wedge issue in, in 2024. And by we, meaning, I'm, I'm, you know, putting myself in the place of those Republicans that are sending them here. <laughs> yeah, local leaders have, have speculated that the rise in arrivals is is an effort to, to put pressure on the city ahead of that convention next summer. But officials are still pushing back and saying it won't impact the event, this this spike in, in, in migrants here. I think I think I think it won't affect it, but there are gonna there are gonna be visuals. All are eyes gonna be are there. On yeah, it. all eyes are gonna be on that. And you know, we're talking about these winterized base camps. Are they gonna still be there? Like you know, in twenty twenty four, and you can't say that there's that the visuals aren't gonna affect the DNC. So it's definitely a way to you know show like, hey, Chicago, you guys are hypocrites. You guys are saying that you're a welcoming city. And, you know, of course, we have that as um, a debate that might be started in city council. Like, do we still want to be a welcoming city? That's something that Alderman Beale has is, is proposed. So I think this is something that, you know, people are definitely going to be paying attention to, especially with cities like New York and Chicago. And, you know, we're not going to see the influx slow down anytime soon. Mm-hmm. It's it's we're going to kind of see a continuation of this for it's, a while. It's accelerated, right? Yeah. Like yeah. There were yeah. like five to seven more buses. I don't know how many people yeah. Each one. I just drove past some of them on the way here to the studio at Navy Pier at the uh, re- uh, hotel. Right, it used to be, I think, a Red Roof Inn or something. Yeah. Right, right off of the Magnificent Mile, which we can talk about that later. Maybe it's not so magnificent anymore without the signature room. But you know, seriously, these it's it's, we'll it's a very it sad, later, but it's a very sad. I, I, it's a very sad uh, situation to see that and. You know, my initial response here, you know, as a as a son of immigrants, shout out to my parents there and my grandparents, um, is that, um, you know, this is Chicago. What, yep. what have we not seen before? But this is a lot of people at once in a very desperate situation. And, um, yeah, it costs money to try to help them get set up. Romana, you mentioned the, the tents. Are they going to be there in August 2024? Can they survive over yeah. yeah. here? Those, no, no. The, the, I mean, the, that's... I mean, what are, how are these really... They say they're going to be durable enough, but... No, you know, that's something... I mean, I don't want to make light of it, but I went glamping in South Haven, Michigan last month, and these were like high-end tents, and they had bathrooms attached to them, and even those got cold at night. This is in August, and so, you know, you have people coming from Venezuela. First of all, they're not used to Chicago winters, and then you're going to put them in these tents, and I know that's something, you know, they're supposed to be winterized tents, but really, how warm are they going to be? Um, and, you know, obviously, we're hearing a lot of criticism about yeah. whether this is the right move to make um, at this time of year, and why not, you know, we're, we just heard uh, Governor Pritzker talk about you know, he thinks that we should look at using unused buildings. And that's something that's a criticism that we're hearing a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we're going to hear it a lot, a lot more. Yeah, thousands have been otherwise sleeping in the lobbies and mm-hmm. outside of police stations while they wait to learn more about their immigration status. I mean, where else can they go? What, what options has the city made available for them? Well, there's that. And there's also the question of what jobs can they find and, yeah. and when can they find jobs? Yeah. And, and a number of people now have been made eligible for jobs. But these new people arriving, uh, the federal government, this is a federal problem that we're seeing acted out on a yes. local basis. And there is the 
very important and humane question of where are they going to stay, but mm-hmm. where are they going to work? Because as soon when they get jobs, they're going to get out of these tents, and the federal government needs to get on that as well as attending to these humane well, but needs. There are jobs, though. I mean, the thing is, you know, and I tweeted this recently, and it got all sorts of responses that you can imagine, some of which shouldn't be, you know, repeated in polite company or in any civilized discussion. But you know, there are jobs. Um, and they want jobs. So, okay, finally, they act on this and allow some of the migrants to right. work. But unemployment is like at a historic low. These restaurants, in a lot of cases, don't want to bring it back to signature. But a lot of restaurants and, and other industries, it's not just high-paying uh, jobs. There are also you know, somewhat menial working-class jobs that need to be filled in our economy and that they're not uh, being able to fill even when they're offering, in many cases, more wages. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen waves like this before. We saw Bosnians, what it was at mm-hmm. 25, 30 years ago, Somalis. And a lot of people in those waves were not moved all to one or two big cities as well. There are other cities that have lost population. Wichita, Kansas is apparently offering money for migrants to go there because so you have they, they need workers they they need more people right. and so why isn't like david said backing up why isn't the federal government somewhere between eagle pass texas or wherever they're crossing and um you know the police stations of chicago coming in and saying you know we're going to resettle people in places um, where maybe the cost of living is lower, where maybe there are more jobs, and, and give them give them the papers they need in order to yeah. legally work. That's right. the problem. It's right. creating a serious issue. Right, because uh, bottleneck. Uh, people are yelling these are illegals. Okay, and that first of all, I don't like that term. Uh, I, I resent it immensely. But more importantly, they are not I- illegal in any way. They are not breaking a law. There is international law mm-hmm. and, and national uh, federal laws. They can present themselves at a port of entry and apply for asylum. Now, the immigration courts are backed up. Right. And, it's and, taken a while. And it's taken a while. But you know what? Let's uh, let's be realistic. They're following uh, the mm-hmm. law, they're not lawbreakers. Certainly. Um, and uh, we've been here before. Thanks for making that distinction. Uh, Mayor Johnson, though, is getting some heat over um, inking a nearly $30 million contract for a security firm to relocate some of the migrants who are sleeping at police stations. I mean, what should we know about the firm? Well, Gar- Garda World. Garda World is a security company that's based in Canada. And uh, they do have, um, there are allegations that there's been some sort of mistreatment of migrants at the border. There's also been trafficking um, allegations. Um, I think um, a lot of people are also upset uh, to add uh, to the insult is that this company has also been responsible. I think uh, Ron DeSantis has hired this company to bus migrants to, um, you know, democratic cities um, to like ship them. So like a, a lot of people have questions like why, you know, this is a this is a company that's basically just taking the opportunity to, you know, to do what is harming a lot of these migrants and why would you use a company like this and it turns out our state also has some sort of contract i guess there's, there's emergency management services also has a contract with garter world so a lot of people have issues with that and mm-hmm. you know this is like a nearly 30 million dollar contract to build these winterized this winterized base camp so the criti- the criticism is out there and, and we're going to be hearing about it a lot more they lost a contract in denver due to this kind of criticism and yeah, you do correct. have to wonder about the decision to contract with this company there are other companies out there 
there that can perform services like this. But David, wouldn't you call that vertically integrated? They're making money on every part <laughs> yeah, of the Yeah, I process. was going to say it. That's what I was going to say. Like, what it. side are you on? Uh, you know, yeah. I thought it was startling when one of the mayor's aides um, uh, went on a, on a show earlier this week um, and said something to the effect of these, they're all bad choices. These are all horrible choices. That was their response to, to you know, questions about Garda. And, well, you know, we just can't do anything about it was was the argument because we're in such a hurry to do something, anything. And it's like, well, the first bosses came here a year ago, so I don't think haste is an excuse for, for waste and, and mm. inefficiency and, and worse, perhaps. All right, David, let's keep this news train going. Uh, <laughs> oh. uh, <laughs> there we go. Shout out to Brenda Ruiz for that one. <laughs> okay. oh, said producer. Yeah. Uh, Chicago's Transit Authority recently received $2 billion. Uh, this is to put toward the cost of the 5.6 mile red line extension. This is going to run from 95th to 130th streets. What's the next step in that plan? Well, the contracts will be let for both the engineering and then ultimately the construction. We're talking a years-long project here, and um, it's long, long overdue. There's all kinds of controversy, though, surrounding this, including questions about how this is being funded at the city level. Uh, their, uh, Mayor Lightfoot created some tax increment financing districts that actually take money from the northern part of the red line and will be spending that money as part of this expansion. Mm -hmm. And the alder people, including the chair of the city finance committee, Pat Dowell, have, have called, stepped up and said, wait a minute, you know, the, the, that's not the way this is meant to work. There are also questions about planning around this. There are other uh, sources of transportation around this, which uh, has been raised, I have to say, this is an area that absolutely needs this red line, frankly. There's a huge absolutely. equity issue here, and this is years and years overdue. And while there is a lot of noise around this, it's good to it's good to see this moving forward. In the mm -hmm. meanwhile, Tony Preckwinkle, the uh, president of the Cook County Board, has come up with some interim planning uh, to provide uh, lower-cost transit buses and trains to communities in this area that ultimately will be served by the red line once it's extended uh, because these are people who need it many of them need to travel on public transportation to get to jobs downtown yeah. and to get within their community and the fact that this south part of the city has been overlooked for so long is just emblematic Completely cut of off from, from getting around yes. wow. uh, well how soon do you think that that section of the south side could see <clears throat> this this l line well, um, it, it's hoped that uh, construction will begin in 2025, uh, but it, you know it'll be it'll be some years before people are riding uh, beyond uh, 95th down to 130th Street. Uh, the four new stations that are going to be built on that line. In other transit news, the CTA will see some closures of the Blue Line this week. What do right. we need to know about that? Well, it's. Uh, it's the beginning of the end for improvements to uh, one section of the Blue Line, uh, but much, much more needs to be done over many years. It's One study says that 80% of the Blue Line from O'Hare to downtown is uh, unacceptably slow, and this addresses the Forest Park leg of the Blue Line, and there will be 
closings at Clinton, UIC, Halstead, and Racine. Over the weekend, uh, $268 million is being spent on this. Uh, again, much more to be done. But this is an area that does have a lot of service, and these are people who get to commute right. out to O'Hare uh, at relative at low cost, much lower than a taxi, and usually faster Wait, as well. We didn't build a tunnel by Ellen Moss? <laughs> <laughs> what happened to that? That was one of Rob's last <laughs> press conferences, which was really just oh, a, really? a show. This is before my time. Yeah, <laughs> The boring company. The boring there company. is still a boring company. They're boring <laughs> somewhere else. Uh, I thought it would be called X or something. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> All right, let's, let's look at this national story that we, we of course, can't take our eyes off, which is Congress risking a government shutdown if they don't pass a federal spending bill by midnight tomorrow night. Dan, is it going to happen? Do you know? Do you have the answers? No, I don't. I mean, if anybody watched um, the selection of a Speaker of the House a couple of years ago, uh, and that even a couple of years ago, less was it earlier uh, this year, um, when they tried to, to have an election and there's a bare majority of Republicans and there are a few people that leverage that, um, who I guess would say are the Freedom Caucus on the very far right. Not too many of them from anywhere around here. Uh, I don't know if Mary Miller is from downstate Illinois, is still in the Freedom Caucus. She's certainly yeah. close to many of the members, such as Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, and uh, Matt Gates. These are people who... Um, are have no problem apparently with shutting down the government in fact want to shut down the government mm -hmm. they can uh they've been threatening from the start to first block kevin mccarthy from becoming speaker of the house or then to now you know some of them are vowing to depose him and and this is one of those issues where they're not playing ball um and it's not the first time it's happened in this country we've had i don't know how many four of them in the last 20 years or so so it won't be the end of the world if it comes to that. But no, I don't know, um, you know, from minute to minute, uh, how many members of that caucus are going to try to join in and, and pass. I mean, well, and I what should we know, David? I mean, because this is going to impact, you know, federal employees and contractors, but also everyday folks. Yes. It's, well, absolutely everyday folks because of the amount of money that's, that these people uh get paid and, and it affects their spending. Obviously, some 20,000 people here in Illinois are expected to be furloughed if if the government um, does in fact shut down. I'm just struck by Dan mentioning Matt Gates, Mary Miller, um, and the third name worth mentioning is Jim Jordan, all of whom participated in a despicable committee hearing here in Chicago this week where they basically came just to talk about Chicago's crime problem and throw shade on this city with mm. no ideas of how to fix this. If that's all that Congress did, I would say let's gladly shut them down. But this Congress does provide a, a, a lot of essential services. The federal government clearly does. Um, it, it's worth noting that poli the policing and health care, essential health care services will continue to be provided, but many other government services, environmental protection, uh, transportation food protection, stamps. other well, things. It depends how long would, it lasts, though, would, right? Yeah. Before we have a knockdown effect right. on state agencies that dispense uh, some of these uh, benefits uh, with federal money. Federal courts would be shut down if mm -hmm. the government shuts down as well, and here in Illinois, the federal courts um, uh, provide a, a lot of services, including the pending trial of Alderman Ed Burke in several weeks. So <laughs> that's it's, only been yeah, that's right. it's, it's only been delayed by four years. We can wait yeah, another yeah. year. Yeah, I was working in D.C. during the last one, and boy, was it quiet for those 35 <laughs> days or so. Not a whistle in the streets. We're back now with more Reset. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. Let's jump right back into our weekly news recap. Here to break down the week's top stories is David Greisen, president of the Better Government Association. 
Ramana Hussein, editorial board member and columnist at the Chicago Sun-Times, and Dan Mahalopoulos, WBEZ investigative reporter on government and politics. All right, some news out of California this morning. Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein died last night at her home in D.C. What do we know, Ramana? Well, she her health had been failing for a while. She was 90 years old. She was the longest-serving female senator in uh, U.S. history, so she broke a lot of glass uh, ceilings. Uh, so she was definitely well-known and well-respected. So that's what we know so far. She she had multiple health issues, as I explained, and so she, was, she had an extended absence in the Senate it for a while so mm. I guess um, you know 90 years old she had a long run but it's still sad especially when someone um, you know made you know so many differences um, you know just in terms of women in politics so this is something that you know we're definitely going to be reading about yeah, her last vote uh, on the Senate floor yesterday was on legislation to prevent a government shutdown as mm-hmm. we were we were just discussing I mean how, how do you think her passing impacts how that could play out David I, I don't know that it'll have much of an effect on how the shutdown plays out but but it has raised her last weeks in office have raised questions about the uh, people elderly people serving in office mm-hmm. and um, beyond the point at which they are serving very ably we've seen mitch mcconnell in a couple of cases uh, visibly kind of shut down in front of reporters in a couple of recent press conferences um and of course going back to ruth bader ginsburg staying on as long as she did and really changing the course of u.s history because of the succession there and so there there now is a, i think a policy question about um yeah uh, when people should call call it a career I mean, we don't want to be ageist, first of all, but let me be the big fat Greek wedding dad and introduce another word, gerontocracy. We have, (laughs) yes. what's happening here is uh, we have people, the only two candidates apparently that either party will consider next year are both way past the age that most people will uh, certainly qualify for federal health care, Medicare, past the age that most people will stop working if they can afford to do that in this economy of haves and have nots yeah of course they, they're not you know playing in the NBA or or exerting themselves physically but we do have to wonder if maybe we need a different mix and all due respect to the legacy of Diane Feinstein or RBG who is revered by by people much younger than me uh, almost as a saint I guess but you, you know when you have these situations um, you do have to wonder um, like you're really voting the day before Mm-hmm. You, you know, you're voting against a shutdown the day before you have, you know, left this world. That's uh, you're working really till your last day. I had some uncles that were say, "Oh, I'm going to work in the restaurant until, until, uh, until my last day, my last breath." And you're like, "Come on, man, take it easy," you know. Yeah, I feel like it's like a boomer thing. Like I, they just don't want to let go, you know. And 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 it's like it's a good it's good that they have that work ethic. But you know, just with these, you know, we're hearing about like. Dave was talking about Mitch McConnell mm-hmm. and, you know, just having two presidential candidates who are over 75, it, it just raises questions. And one of the things I've always noticed, at least with the Democrats, a lot of the Republicans, there are a lot of Gen Xers that are in power. I don't know of any or too many Generation Xers in the Democratic Party. I feel like everybody is a baby boomer and that's fine. And, you know, but it's like, are you guys training the next generation or, you know, we need up and comers. We need we need, you know, yeah. more f- fresh faces, I think, for sure. Uh, from The Guardian so. the, uh, said Feinstein's uh, death is unlikely to change the balance of power in the Senate where, where Democrats have a two seat edge 
Well, Gavin, Gavin Newsom, the Democratic governor, would have, would appoint a successor yeah. uh, and, until there's an election. So, right. um, yes, it, it is unlikely to. And she, Previously I saying so. he would appoint a black woman uh, to replace her if she if she left office. Mm-hmm. 75, I think I heard, was the median age of senators, median really? or, or average. Oh. I don't remember off the top of my head. I do know that Feinstein's passing, in all likelihood, she'll be replaced by someone that was younger. It might lower that average of the 100 senators slightly. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think that makes the point that we're talking about yeah. regarding gerontocracy. All right, moving on to stories closer to home. Uh, do you all remember the shooting at the, the White yes. Sox Stadium a few weeks ago? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the woman who was shot, she spoke out during an exclusive with Craig Wall at ABC7 Chicago, and she says that she heard a loud pop and felt an impact on her leg but didn't actually see anything. Let's listen. At that point, I didn't know if it was um, there was going to be more gunfire. I didn't know anything. I, I was terrified. I wanted to get out of that area because I knew somebody in the immediate area had a gun on them. So she goes on to deny that she is the one who snuck a gun into the ballpark and accidentally shot herself. Remember, that was swirling for a while. And she says that she wishes that the game was stopped to address the issue. So, I mean, your thoughts on the decision to not stop the game, Romana? Yeah, I was going to say, first of all, um, what is the latest status and what the police believe? Do they now believe? Are we back again to where the gunshots might have been outside the stadium? Like I feel like we, we are know. never getting clarification. Did, did we land still anywhere? We still, no, we I didn't. That's what I mean. Yeah. I I feel like we're not getting that many answers. But um, yeah, I think that's a legitimate. Um, that's the first thing I thought of when I heard about the shooting. Um, I was I thought that was a little uh, strange that the game was not uh, stopped. Um, the interim superintendent Fred. Waller, the last thing that he did before um, he left was demote um, John Spellman, who was basically, I think, in charge of security at... Uh, well, he was moonlighting. Two yeah, hats moonlighting. Right. Taking yeah. him on and off at the same time. I mean, he's yeah. moonlighting as the as, uh, doing security at the, at the ballpark. I mean, a lot of our uh, public servants are Sox fans, it seems like disproportionately. <laughs> full disclosure, I'm a Cub fan. I am so too. A lot of your journalists are Cub fans. But, but the, he was a patrol bureau chief. And um, Fred Waller, being the interim superintendent at that time, I think settled the question of whether play should have stopped when yeah. he said, okay, I, I, it was my fault, play should have stopped, and it mm. did not. But now, you know, after gallantly falling on his sword, he's got another sword <laughs> yeah, yeah. on his way out for, for John Spellman. Um, so I think this is all still being unraveled. Yeah, and it's, it's just like speaks to a lot of the things that we hear about crime in the city. It's like, what happened? You know, it's just like people want to know more. And this is something that, you know, there's got to be cameras everywhere at, uh, you know, at the stadium. So it's just like, there were any, why? But any video that I saw was still confusing. It, it was, <laughs> yeah. it was confusing, it was but I'm just confusing. saying like, why is this taking so long Especially for anybody to get their stories it, straight? And why did it take so long for people to react? I felt like there was yeah. no like massive crowd running. Well, this woman that was just talking to Craig Wall, she was saying that she initially thought that like a beer can hit her leg. So I'm like wondering like what kind of, it, you know, just looking at the video, it didn't seem like people were just like, you know, panicking or there wasn't a lot of people running away or anything like that so if you looked like you said if you looked at the video it didn't look like there was a, I was like where did it happen yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't yeah. I couldn't even find the the source agree and there's a separate question here about moonlighting cops and and he there there are strict rules about they're supposed to get approval from their supervisor which apparently was not the case here and it 
at a time when police are working tons and tons of overtime because we're down by about 1,500 cops on the police force, you would think that the moonlighting thing should be very restricted because it's an exhausting and really difficult job, and the suicide rate indicates just how difficult it is. We have this extraordinarily high suicide rate in the Chicago Police Department. To take on a second job at a time when you're already being asked to work a lot of overtime in your day job uh, just raises questions about judgment. We, I, I understand it's a pay issue, and they, they perhaps need the income, uh, but to not comply with the departmental rules on moonlighting uh, yeah. is a problem. There's a lot of that going on. I mean, yeah, you go to sure people working uh, security at Soldier Field, mm-hmm. the next Bears game, and people at bars and clubs that are officers that are, you know, off-duty uh, side jobs. Little side, side hustle. Yeah, mm-hmm. side yeah. hustle. In the conflict of interest here, where there was a public safety question that that a decision was made apparently by this person mm-hmm. uh, about hey you know let's no need to shut down the let's game keep going. I mean who is he serving the CPD or his uh, moonlighting Jerry boss the, the <laughs> Chicago White Sox well let's stick with you here David and and talk about this uh, collapse of a Bridgeport bank a federal jury recently convicted two home builders for their part in a 31 million dollar embezzlement. Tell us more. Well, this is one of many convictions in this case. This bank is best known. Washington Federal Bank for Savings is a Bridgeport-based bank, is best known for uh, giving a loan to Patrick Daly Thompson, in which he uh, was untruthful in the as the federal investigators were looking into it and uh, has lost his city council job and, and uh, face criminal and charges. Face criminal charges uh, found guilty uh, as a result of that. And and so the latest are these two home builders, uh, Miroslav Kraucha and Mark Matchek, um, who apparently took loans, never made any payments on them, and, and were charged with conspiracy here. It's a very sad case in the sense that, first of all, illegal bank conduct that led to $66 million in bad loans and the failure of this bank. But also in one case, this uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Madchuk, what happened uh, was visited by the former, uh, the grandson of the founder and then CEO of the bank, John Grimbara, who uh, took his own life in mm. this Parkridge home of uh, this one person who, who was found guilty this week. It's wow. a, it's a it's an extraordinarily um, sad case all the way around of corruption that led to the demise of of a community based bank. All right, David, we're moving on to the story that you've been waiting Thank for. Thank goodness. Chicago's signature room, eight seventy five North Michigan, known as the Hancock Tower. Of course, it closed on Thursday with little to no warning. You're crushed. 38 years ago, my uh, bride-to-be, Cynthia Hedges, and her parents and I had a memorable dinner the night after I had proposed to Cindy. And we had a dinner in the signature room. And sad to say, or happy to say, I believe I'm one of hundreds and thousands of people (laughs) who have celebrated engagements or gotten engaged in that beautiful vista overlooking the city of Chicago, our beloved city of Chicago. And... As Dan pointed out earlier, Dan has a comment, a little bit of a restaurant review. I guess he won't be missing the food, but the view was worth the I hadn't the been cost. there since it was called the 95th, and I was probably in high school. So you're talking <laughs> oh, wow. about like the 90s. I mean, amazing view, obviously, but... A lot of guys in ruffled really, shirts in that place. Look, You're right. Yeah. Prom, good prom date place. I, I, I don't want to say anything, but I mean, business is difficult these days. A lot of restaurants have closed. Fine dining, apparently, I'm told, is, is hit harder. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I tried. Right. And, and in so, this case, they've cited economic issues. Yeah. yeah but there was so much uh, angst and agita about, um, you know, 
does this mean that the, the downtown, another sign that downtown is, is, is going down the tubes and it's like, was it good, the restaurant? <laughs> you know, I looked up the reviews. The view, the view, Dan, the view was very good. That's I'm, I'm, No comment beyond just the view. That's all. 3.5 stars average on Yelp. Thousands of reviews. It's not that high. Not you yeah. remembering the actual ratings. The view, Dan, yeah. the view. It's really funny. Research. No, but it's really funny that you say that because I'm a Chicago native and I was like, I always like, you know, people talk about the signature room and I'm like, I got to go there. I, ca- I kept saying, I got to go there one day. I got to go there one day it's and then the place to be. And I, never, I never knew i never I, went and no, I went to the hand, I, but so then i yesterday i was texting my friends and i'm like i've always wanted to go you know just and then one of my friends i have to tell you like a couple of my friends said you're you weren't missing anything the food yeah. was meh they're like but this, they go the views were spectacular so I, i'm just yeah. saying i i have friends i don't who think i ate the food that. when i went i think the smart play <laughs> even then even for a high school kid from the suburbs was to get a drink Probably yeah, non-alcoholic yeah. at that yeah. time, yeah. and yeah. enjoy the view. I don't know. I mean, there's there are problems on the magma. Yes, you know yeah. there are. Yeah. There's thirty percent vacancies. Water Tower Place has financial problems that were reported extensively recently. Uh, you know, a lot of it going back to the pandemic, and not only that, but the disturbances. In, you know, around May thirtieth, twenty twenty, as well after mm-hmm. the George, George Floyd protests. But having said that, I'm not sure that this is the sign of the downtown Chicago apocalypse no. that some say, people are making it out as. I would yeah. also say watch that space. That's a great space. It's not going to be closed forever. It's, no. it's, oh, for sure. it's no. going to reopen and maybe with somebody who knows how to cook. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe with something Maybe good, Maybe with like an Indian restaurant. <laughs> hey, that that's, let's, let's dream it up. Uh, we just had our first full week of fall, guys. How are you marking the change of the season? I'm, I got a cold. I'm not. I'm wearing. I'm sorry. I hope you feel better. I'm wearing an aquamarine polo well, I'm shirt. Better now. I'm just not giving up. I'm yeah, you're not, I'm in denial too. I I still am like, oh, it's warm outside, yeah. and but then it gets cold at night. But still, I I'm still in denial because I felt like the summer went by so fast. So I'm not accepting it yet. I would say that some 50 grising relatives are in town for the wedding of my nephew, Brian, and his bride-to-be, Kim, Yay. this evening. And so we'll be celebrating all weekend. Not at and you're not going to go to the signature room. Sadly, we won't be at the signature room. Uh, did you catch Chicago Henge last Saturday? Uh, no. No? Anybody catch the Harvest Moon last night? I, I, saw, did, I, I did. I did. I saw it. I was like, is this supposed to be some sort of special moon? Because it looked. It, <laughs> Whoa. Because sometimes you don't know. I'm like, I there's always. So I'm like looking Spicy. up. I'm like, it looks good. So. Yeah. No, I, I didn't catch it. I mean, I, I thought it, it, I saw it a couple of nights ago, the full moon walking. It was kind of wispy clouds being blown past the, uh, you know, beautiful full moon. What was it? Was be, it? Be nice to have a good yeah. soccer game. Though. Yeah, it was a full the moon only tonight, too. a good too. soccer game to go to. Only Wednesday night at Soldier Field. <laughs> I'm going. Lionel we, Messi. We know where you'll yeah. be. Yes, yeah. next week. Uh, Megan Rapino closed out her career. I was at that game last weekend, and now cool. Dan's going to see Messi on Wednesday. Look at if that. If he's healthy. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. Dan Mahalopoulos is an investigative reporter on government and politics at WBEZ. David Greising is the president of the Better Government Association. And Ramana Hussein is a columnist and member of the editorial board member of the Chicago Sun-Times. Have a great weekend. You too. You too, Sasha. That's it for Reset. The show is produced by Meha Ahmed, Linnea Dominic, Brenda Ruiz, Micah Yason, Claire Hyman, Andrea Guthman, Landon Jones, and Max Lubers. Dan Tucker's our executive producer. Ethan Schwab and Haley Bloomquist were our engineers this week. 
Monday on the show. Before it was a place to gamble or shop, it was the longtime home to the Medina Shriners, an organization shrouded.